Good morning. Good morning. It is always my privilege and my joy to be able to bring to you God's word when I am able to. And today's word is in the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 16 through 26. And we will also read Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. And so if you are able to, please stand with me in reverence to the word of God. And I will read for us. Genesis 18, 16 through 26, and Romans. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare this place for the sake of these 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, then I will spare the whole place for their sake. In Romans 8, 26-30, Paul says in his letter, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we enter into the season of Lent, which of course is leading up to uh, Easter uh, Sunday when Christ is resurrected, uh, we decided that we would do a sermon series on prayer during the season of Lent. And so today we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God in prayer. And most of us here know that we should pray. Uh, I hope that all of you do pray. And if you are a true uh, Christian, right, a fervent Christian, then most of the time our desire is to want to pray more. We want to find more time to pray. We ask each other to pray for one another. We lift up prayer requests together. We pray in the morning and we pray in the evening. And some of us pray in the morning and the evening. Some of us pray quietly, and some of us pray loudly. And some of us like to pray here or there. And and the point is that we all know that we should pray. 
and, and we know that it is our Christian duty to pray. But oftentimes, a full and a robust prayer life is something that we don't see in many Christians' lives. Sometimes we're too busy to pray, or maybe we just forget, or perhaps we feel uninspired. There aren't many things that that we feel like we need to pray for, or maybe we're just lazy. Sometimes we might pray intensely for short periods of time when there's something going on in our lives or there's some kind of difficulty, but we find that when we get what we need, or maybe we get the answer to our prayer, we suddenly stop praying again. This is because, like much in our Christian lives, prayer is a spiritual discipline. It's not something that just comes naturally to us. But we have to discipline ourselves to pray. I don't know about you, but in this technological age, often I find myself being distracted when I try to pray. My cell phone rings, right? Someone calls. Or I get a text message or an email. Or while I'm praying, I get distracted and suddenly I start thinking about what am I going to preach this Sunday or, or business things or, or work-related things or whatever it is? And so I hope that this series, and my prayer is that as we go through the series of prayer, that we're not just filled with a knowledge of prayer, a philosophy of how to pray, that we're not just theologically equipped about prayer. But my hope is that as we go through this series in prayer, that we begin to practice this spiritual discipline of prayer, that we make it a priority to pray, set aside time to pray, that as we go through this series, our church may grow in our prayer lives. Amen? Amen. And so today, we, as we discuss prayer, we are going to look at the sovereignty of God and prayer. Now, we know that God is sovereign, that He is the ruler of all things, He's the creator of all things, that He brings All things to pass. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the beginning from the end. There's nothing that God does not already know. And there are no surprises. There are no shocks with God. And so then, some might say, if God already knows all things, if He already knows the beginning and the end, why should I pray? What will my prayers do? Can I change the mind of God? Can I change the outcome if I pray? Well, if God is sovereign, if he's almighty and all-knowing, then then even if I pray, theoretically and theologically, he'll know what I'll pray for even before I pray it. He'll know the outcome of my prayer even before I pray it. And so then why should I waste my time? Why should I even pray? And we may ask these questions. I know I've asked this question before and I've doubted prayer and if I should ever pray because God already knows what what he's doing and he already knows what I'm going to pray so why should I pray in the first place and these concerns and questions are are valid they're legitimate however we shouldn't allow these questions to detract us from prayer and I think that's what happens a lot of times we allow these questions that we have to become an excuse not to pray But these questions aren't excuses for us not to pray, but we should allow these questions to lead us to understanding God in a better way, to understanding prayer in a better way. In fact, as we'll see, 
the sovereignty of God should not detract us from prayer, but it should actually lead us to pray more because he is sovereign. Well, how do we know that we're supposed to pray? Well, the foremost and the greatest reason that we know that we're still supposed to pray, even though God is sovereign, is because God tells us to pray. Now, as we read in the catechism, if you're paying attention, there was no thou shall pray. And so it's not in the Ten Commandments. However, God, throughout the Old Testament, he calls his people to pray. He calls them to cry out to him, to lay their burdens to him. And we see so many examples throughout the Old Testament of people praying to God. We see Abraham praying to God, David, Moses, Nehemiah, Daniel, right? The prayer of Daniel. We see constantly that people that know God is sovereign. I'm sure Abraham and Moses and these great, David, these great people, they knew God is sovereign. Yet we see them praying before God. What's another reason that we should pray? How do we know we're supposed to pray? Well, the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, tells us to pray. And Jesus is God, and so when Jesus commands us to do something, God is also, it's the same thing. Jesus, he commands us to pray. Not only does he command us to pray, but he even teaches us how to pray. Throughout the, Old, uh, the New Testament letters, we are encouraged to pray in every season, at all times, in every circumstance, and without ceasing. We are called to live lives of prayer before God. At the outset of the early church in Acts, we read in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Not only this, but prayer is a common theme throughout the early church. The church gathers and prays. We, we remember when Paul and Silas were imprisoned and they were shackled in chains. What were they doing? They were singing psalms and praying. And so even though God is sovereign, we still have to pray. And so then do we pray out of some kind of habit? Do we just make it a ritual? Do we just pray out of some kind of tradition, right? Like a, like a, like a robot, we just pray the same prayer because we know that God knows it anyway that, and he's sovereign. So, like some religions do, they just pray the same prayer or, or they just have the same thing, right? Is that how we're supposed to treat our prayers? No. The sovereignty of God encourages us to pray because it gives us assurance that when we pray, God hears us because he is sovereign. It brings us hope That when we pray, even though we don't know what we're doing, even though we don't know what we're supposed to pray for, that God is still sovereign and God knows what he is doing. Prayer is for the glory of God, but it is for our benefit. I think that's what we miss sometimes. We think that prayer is for God. That for some reason God needs my prayers. He needs my input. He needs my my opinion, and so I need to pray to God. And we, we think, we misunderstand that prayer is for God, but it's not for God, it's for His glory. But prayer is for our benefit. God is not like some kind of other mythological God that 
feeds off of our prayers or becomes empowered from our prayers. When we say that we don't have to pray, I don't have to pray because God already knows because he's sovereign. When we say such things, we must understand that prayer is for me, it's for us, it's for my benefit, it's for my blessing. It's so that I can understand God a little bit more. So that I can tap into his will and his purpose a little bit more. So that I, he can reveal himself to me. So that I can know more about myself through prayer. And how is this done? Well, Paul tells us that this is done through the working of the Holy Spirit. When we pray, the Spirit works in us to know God and know his will and to understand the heart and the mind of God. God doesn't need our prayers yet. He still desires for us to pray to him in order that we may enter into this relationship with him. And so Paul says in today's scripture that we read in uh, chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Just a little background in this text. Paul has been talking about salvation by uh, faith alone, justification by faith alone through Jesus Christ alone. And he says it doesn't matter if you're in persecution, right? If you're struggling or whatever's going on, if you have a sin issue, he says it's not about you. It's about God. God is the one who does it through his grace. Salvation is by God alone. And he says in the same way, when you pray, whatever you pray, whatever you lift up, it is the spirit that intercedes for you because the spirit knows the will of God. And God who knows the mind of the spirit knows what you're praying And so Paul explains that when we come to God in prayer, that it's certainly not because we have something good to say that God hears us, right? We are sinful beings. What what kind of prayer could we pray that would be worthy of the audience of God? We couldn't say anything eloquently enough that would merit God to say, okay, I'm going to listen to you because you're you're such a good prayer Oh, it's not because we are eloquent. It's not because we are perfect. It's not even because we know the will of God. It is simply because of God's grace to us that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf and God hears our prayers. And so when we pray, we pray through the Spirit of God, through the mediator, our mediator, Jesus Christ, through his blood, who makes us righteous. And that is why God hears our prayers. Not because, not because we're special or we're good at praying. We know that Jesus was constant in prayer. He constantly prayed, even before he was captured. Right before then in Gethsemane, what was he doing? He was praying to his Father in heaven. Now think about this. Why did Jesus pray? It's not because he didn't know God. It's not because he had to. 
But Jesus was giving us an example in his humanity of how our relationship with God should be. Our relationship with God is through prayer. Of course, through the word, and everything is surrounded by the word. But even in prayer, we pray the word. That is our relationship with God. Through Jesus' example, we understand that when we pray, we're not just praying into the ground or praying into the wall. But it is as if we are entering the throne room of God himself. We are in the presence of God, and God hears us because of the Holy Spirit through our mediator, Jesus Christ. In today's Old Testament passage, we see that God does not hide his will from Abraham. He wants to enter into this relationship with Abraham. And so he says in verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And, and he doesn't. He doesn't hide it. He actually tells Abraham exactly what he's going to do. Now, why did God do this? Is, is it because he wanted Abraham's input? Well, Abraham, you know, what do you think I should do? He didn't include Abraham because he needed his prayer or his input. He included Abraham because he wanted Abraham to be a part of his will. Because he loves Abraham. And he wanted a relationship with Abraham. And so in this prayer-like conversation, Abraham, he's, he, he starts to pray. He starts to petition to God. Now, do you think Abraham didn't know that God was sovereign and that his will would come to pass and he already knew what he was doing? No, Abraham knew, yet he still petitioned to God. His response when God said, here's my will, Abraham didn't say, well, God, you know what you're doing. Why are you asking me? Well, you already know what you're going to do, so my prayers aren't going to mean anything to you. Whatever I say, you're not going to listen to it anyway, so I'm not going to say anything. That's not what Abraham said. This is what Abraham said. He starts to petition to God of of his justice and righteousness. And in verse 23, he says, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He starts to plea with God and petition with God. Why? Because Abraham doesn't know God's will. To Abraham in this moment and in this point... He's seeking God with his heart. He wants to know, what is your will, God? And how can I understand your will in a better way? And likewise, this is how we should pray. To seek God with our hearts. Because we don't know what God's will is. Because we don't know God fully yet. We petition to him and we pray to him. And we plea with him and we cry out to him as Abraham did. And we do it through his word. We do it through the promises of God. We do it by knowing God and the attributes of God. I love how Abraham petitions to God. He doesn't say, well, God, I think this or I think that. He says, God, you are a God of justice. You are a God of righteousness. He tells, he he prays in the word, right? He prays with the attributes of God, telling God, this is who you are. Help me to understand better. And so we see Abraham, he says, what if there are 50 righteous people? Will you, will you wipe out Sodom because of 50 righteous people? And God says, okay, fine. I won't if there's 50 people. And Abraham says, okay, okay. what if there are 45? And God says, okay, fine. What, what, what about 40? Right? And he goes all the way down from 30 to 20. And I think about how God is like, okay, Abraham, all right, right. But God is patient and he's loving. And so he's, Abraham's figuring this out. He doesn't know. 
But he's figuring it out as he prays, as he enters into this conversation with God, as he enters into this relationship with God. Abraham, he's figuring this out. This is just a personal commentary, but I don't think at this point Abraham quite fully understood that no one is righteous. There are none that are righteous because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's through this prayer that Abraham, he he converses with God, that he continues to understand who God is. And I like how this, this portion finishes after Abraham petitions to God. It says that God was finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham went home. I like how it says, God was finished speaking with Abraham. Not Abraham was finished speaking with God. Because I think that's how we treat our prayer lives a lot. When we're done talking with God, we say, all right, God, time's up. It's time for me to go. No, it says, this is God's time, not your time. You're done when God is done speaking with you. And after his conversation with God, I don't know what Abraham was expecting, But God continues to fulfill his plan. And he sends angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham's petitions didn't change God's mind. What Abraham said didn't sway God's decision. But it did help Abraham understand God more. Perhaps through his petition and prayer... Abraham started to understand what God was doing. Remember, who was in Sodom while God is revealing this plan to Abraham? His own nephew, Lot, right, is in in Sodom. So imagine Abraham's heart right now. God, please, please. And so we petition to God. Sometimes we don't know what God is doing. We don't know. God, why are you doing this? We don't understand the situations or the circumstances that come into our lives. Yet we know that because God is sovereign, that he will come, he will bring to pass what he has willed. But not only is God sovereign, but praise the Lord, because God is also good. And that's what Paul says in the next verses. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Praise the Lord that when we pray, that many times like Abraham, we don't even know what we're praying for and what we think is better and what we think is good God is patient with us and he gives us not what we ask for necessarily but he gives us what is good and so whatever the outcome we pray knowing that God knows what's best because he is sovereign we find comfort in knowing that when we pray God isn't surprised he's not shocked By our prayers. He's not up in heaven. Could you imagine him being up in heaven and hearing our prayers and saying, Oh, I never thought of that before. That's a good point. I better change my mind. Could you imagine a God who isn't control of our prayers? 
If you've ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty, could you imagine a God who just clicks yes to everyone's prayers? Doesn't know what he's doing. No. God is sovereign. And he is good. And so when we pray, even like Abraham prayed, we continue to trust that God brings together and works together everything in his good will, in his good purpose. In his commentary, Douglas Moo writes, When we do not know what to pray for, yes, even when we pray for things that are not best for us, we need not despair, for we can depend on the Spirit's ministry of perfect intercession on our behalf. Here's one potent source for that patient fortitude with which we are to await our glory, that our failure to understand God's purposes and plans to see the beginning from the end does not mean that effective, powerful prayer for our specific needs is absent. Now here's the truly perplexing part of this. That even though God already had a plan, God already knew that Abraham would would pray to him like this and have a conversation with this, that Abraham would plead with him like this. He knew everything, but this is what it says in Genesis chapter 19 through 28, that God remembered Abraham, and he remembered his conversation, and he saves Lot. It's truly perplexing. The sovereign God knew what Abraham would pray, and it says that he remembers Abraham, and he saves Lot. This is because though God ordains the ends, he also ordains the means. God loves us and he desires to include us in his sovereignty. And he desires for some reason to include us and use us as instruments to fulfill his will. It is not that we can change his mind when we pray. It's not that we're trying to manipulate God when we pray, but God uses our prayers to reveal himself to us. To help us realize many things about him and even ourselves. To work even in our prayers for his glory. And this is an honor and a privilege and a joy for those who love God. That he includes us in his sovereignty. God frequently works through secondary means to fulfill his plans. For example, God has chosen and predestined those who are his, even before the foundations of the earth. Yet he uses us as vessels to evangelize, to proclaim the gospel message. Not because he needs us, but because he is delighted to use us, even to fulfill his work. And it's the same with prayer. It's not that he needs it. He loves us, and so... We pray, and he even uses our prayers. And this means that God uses us to, and brings us in to be able to participate in the great work that he does. We are not just spectators. We are not just robots that just do everything that he has programmed us to do. We're not fatalists that say, well, que sera, sera. No. God invites you. He invites us to be involved in what he is doing. And that through his word and also through prayer. And so in 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 and 15, 
He says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. Our Father delights when we pray. He delights when we participate with Him in His work. And on the other side, those who love God love to participate with Him in His work. When I was younger, I would always watch my dad work, whether it's at church or whether it was at home. And I would, you know, always just watch him do this, you know, great thing. And sometimes he would give me these tasks to do. He would give me a work to do. And I'd be so excited that I could help my dad do something. And even now with my son, when he always, you know, when I'm doing something, he's always, you know, next to me, watching me, what I'm doing. And sometimes I'll give him a little task. It's not because I need him to do it. It's not because I, I'm like, oh, without you, I wouldn't be able to do this. No, because I want to, to do it with him. And, I, and, I, and he's so elated. His eyes just get so big that he can help his daddy do this magnificent work, right? He thinks it's some kind of great work, right? But he's so excited to be able to help. And participate in what his daddy's doing. God delights when we pray. And he wants us to pray. And he wants us to be involved in what he is doing. In this story with Abraham, God uses Abraham's prayer. He did save four people that day, three of them survived. And in this story, God's plan was not thwarted by Abraham. It was not changed by Abraham. God always had a plan to save Lot and his daughters. But he involved Abraham in the process. How do we know that God always intended to save Lot? How do we know that God didn't suddenly change his mind? Well, Lot eventually becomes the father to the Moabites and the Ammonites who we know, of course, were the enemies of Israel, right? They had to conquer these, these people when they went into the promised land. However, there is a very, very famous Moabite woman I think you've heard of. Her name is Ruth. And Ruth eventually marries a man named Boaz. And they eventually have a son named Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. And, of course, David is the line where our Messiah comes from, Jesus Christ. You don't think that that is God's plan. But do you think that Abraham knew this when he prayed to God? No way. Yet, God included Abraham in that. Because God loves, he loved Abraham and he loves us. And so let us pray. In every season, in every circumstance, no matter what the outcome is, because we trust in God, we trust in His sovereignty, and more importantly, because we love God. And we want to be involved in what He is doing. Let us pray without ceasing for those around us. Let us pray for our country. Let us pray for our world, our church, our friends and our family, regardless of what's happening or not, regardless of whether we understand what God is doing or not. Let us pray. And let us hold precious our time with God, having a time of communion with him through prayer, that we may be encouraged and strengthened and comforted because we know that he is sovereign. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. And as we begin this series in prayer, we ask that you would stir in our hearts not only the philosophy or the theology of prayer, but the practice and the discipline of it. Because we love you so much. You are our Father. We pray that we would enter into this discipline every day, morning and evening, so that we may know you more, we may be involved with your work, and that you may be glorified in our lives. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.